When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Williams changing things up here. He'll throw it. Has time. Wait for a receiver to come free. Now he takes off. And now he throws it. Back of the end zone. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Student Nation podcast, Oklahoma coming off of a bye week. Thus, no Sunday night podcast for us. But the Sooners are now starting the roughest stretch of their 2021 football season, beginning in Waco, Texas on Saturday morning, 11 a.m. kickoff. This is the real deal. If you want to see Oklahoma move up in the college football rankings, this is that opportunity. Uh, Rich, the, I, I don't I don't know why anybody truly expected Oklahoma to move in the rankings this last week, the Sooners hold at number eight in the college football playoff rankings. And really, it my stance hasn't changed on this. And I think when you look at this light, latest set of rankings, it validates what I had said all along. It, it's it's not about it's not about who you lost to at this point. It's who you've beaten. And granted, Oklahoma's nine and zero, but who have they beaten? And 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 before you answer the question, I got to say this. Oklahoma fans, and I'm guilty of this. I said it weeks ago. Oklahoma fans have to look past now. We've always said our best one of the season was Texas. Our best one of the season is Texas. That's not the case anymore. The Texas win is not a good win. I mean, that's a, it's a sub 500 team. And if you're and if you're saying because well, I see it on social media, well, I guess coming back from 28 points down against Texas didn't mean anything. No, it, no, it didn't. It didn't mean anything because Texas is below 500. They're a team with a losing record. And so if you're claiming Texas as your best win of the season, you're answering the argument right there. This is why OU is number eight. But that all changes starting Saturday. Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and then the Big 12 Championship. You run that table, and I, I guarantee you see Oklahoma leapfrog Michigan State. You see Oklahoma leapfrog Michigan. And that's, that goes without saying that Alabama and Georgia are still probably going to play each other. Ohio State's going to play Michigan. Ohio State's going to play Michigan State. All these teams in front of you, they're not going to survive this. You run the table and you're in. Sorry. That, that's, <laughs> I just, I, look, we, we, we have to have something to talk about, particularly in a bye week. But I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by the outrage that Oklahoma's number nine, uh, number eight at nine and oh. I, I'm flabbergasted by it. If, if Oklahoma beats Baylor on Saturday and remains at number eight on Tuesday, then I give you permission to come unhinged. But at this point, just stop. Just understand where this team is. They've accomplished nine wins. Great. But nine wins over subpar opponent. Now your best win, probably Kansas State. Is that your best win if you're looking at Oklahoma's schedule? And, and you're going to tell me that compares with Cincinnati beating Notre Dame in South Bend? You're going to tell me that compares with Michigan State beating Michigan? 
It doesn't. It just, it doesn't. Okay, I'm done. Your, your thoughts. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, Matt, here's the thing is, I, I tend to agree with what you're saying. And when you look at the Big 12, you look at the teams that make up, even though it's 10 and we have the number 12 there, you look at the 10 teams that make up the Big 12 and you look at those records, Texas hasn't won a game since Oklahoma beat them. They're on a four-game skid at this point in time, which was the the basically entire month of October mm-hmm. and the first week now of November. That's not a good win. In fact, it seems as though it's the norm to beat Texas at this point. That was not the expectation for Texas heading into the season by any stretch of the imagination with Steve Sarkeesian at the helm of this program. But it is the reality that we must live with. And if you're looking for the best win, it's it's hard to deny that Oklahoma's best win is Kansas State. That's nothing to write home about. We've talked in depth, I feel like, about this very topic in saying that November is where everything will shake out. Mm-hmm. And the odds... For Oklahoma, the odds may ever be in their favor, oh, to use your favorite quote no, of all time. Oklahoma has a very good record in November. It's hard to deny that. History is definitely on Oklahoma's side here. But we're also looking at a stretch of teams where they're going to challenge Oklahoma. And if Oklahoma doesn't play consistently, there is a stumbling block that sits before them. You look at two ranked opponents... Iowa State falling out of the rankings after being being beaten by West be Virginia. In, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I'm I'm saying that Oklahoma will make their case here, mm-hmm. and then they'll get another shot at a ranked opponent. They will have three right. ranked opponents. Maybe over, four. Maybe four. Maybe four, but at least three right. over the course of one month's span. That's going to speak volumes about who this program is, the direction that they're heading in, whether they're worthy of consideration for the college football playoff. That's I, all I got. No, I agree. And and the thing, which you, we're both saying the same thing. But to to add to that, of those four opponents, only one of them's in Norman. They get the Iowa State game in Norman. They're in Waco this Saturday. They're against Iowa State. They're at Stillwater, and then they're at Arlington. And I know that's technically a neutral site field, mm-hmm. but if they end up, I was at the Big Twelve Championship game when they played Baylor. That's not that's not really neutral site. There was a lot more Baylor fans than Oklahoma fans, which surprised me. Were maybe there, that, it seemed like it to I, me. I, I have to ask it, the question because the fan bases historically Oklahoma's forty five much bigger. I, this I, is I agree, true. but I'm just this saying if if there weren't more Baylor fans there, the Baylor fans were a lot more vocal than the Oklahoma fans were. I'm just that was my experience. Okay, expectations if you, versus if, wants. If you have a different experience, I'd love to hear it. But that's the way I I felt it was. But you, three of those four games, if Oklahoma makes it qualifies for the Big Twelve Championship, three of those four games would be played away from Norman. Mm-hmm. So you got that going for you. And you look at this: the seven teams ranked ahead of Oklahoma. Only one team. Only one team has a a more difficult schedule to finish out than OU does. And that's Iowa State. Ohio State. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's it's Ohio State. They they've got they've got a, a pretty difficult difficult schedule ahead of them. And and so I think I think the Buckeyes could kind of earn their stripes here this this final month of the season in very much the same way that Oklahoma earns their stripes. But but here's the thing, and, and this is how I'm looking at it. Oklahoma is undefeated. 
Iowa State won. Ohio State. Why do I keep saying that? Ohio State won loss. The two teams run through the month of November. Oklahoma should be ahead of Ohio State when it's all said and done with. That's where they should be. Because you're looking at a one-loss Big Ten champion and a, an undefeated Big 12 champion. I think I think you got to give the nod to the undefeated team. Does any consideration, because at this point in time, what we've seen and what the trend mm. is becoming is that you're not punished for a loss. And there have been numerous individuals and numerous outlets that have criticized this. Granted, most of those outlets center around programs right. like the University of Oklahoma. Previously, Wake Forest was included in that. And then there's obviously Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. People that surround those programs have made this cry. In fact, there was even a sign. I, I don't know if it was at college game day. Someone tweeted it out is all I know. And it had Cincinnati with a zero in the loss column. And then it listed three teams, Alabama, Ohio State, and and I think it was Michigan or Michigan State right. at that point in time who all had a loss. Couldn't have been Michigan State. Had to have been Michigan. All had a loss at that point, and it said, what are those? And it circled the one around that loss column. So the MO for the College Football Playoff Committee has been no punishment for a loss as long as it's been to a ranked opponent. Ohio State has that on their resume. You yeah. don't think that comes into play later? No, and see, and I don't agree even with what you're saying. I, I, I don't think, and I think we're looking at it backwards. You could legitimately make an argument that Alabama wasn't punished for losing to Texas A&M. You could legitimately make that argument. Alabama has no business being number two in the nation. Look at their schedule. When we're talking about Oklahoma's schedule, and Oklahoma doesn't have a quality win, you can legitimately say that about Alabama as well, and they have a loss. So that's the one school. Out of the seven schools ranked ahead of Oklahoma, that's the one school that you can make an argument that they're not punished for losing. For Oklahoma, yeah, you're 9-0, and but it always comes back to who have you beaten? Who have you beaten? And And even Ohio State, okay? Ohio State, yeah, they lost to Oregon, but they they have a win against Penn State. And I know Penn State's not a world beater. Okay, I get it. They're not gonna they're not gonna be a Big Ten champion or anything like that. But it's a lot better than anything Oklahoma has. It's a lot better than anything Wake Forest had. I mean, so it's 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 Oklahoma. It's not that Ohio State is not being punished for losing. It's Oklahoma's being punished for not beating anybody of quality. And and even the the chairman of the playoff committee, he, he even said as much. I mean, he straight he straight admitted it. That Oklahoma hasn't beaten anybody, and that's what they look at. Here's what here's what here's exactly Gary Barta. Here's his quotes exactly. If you look at it, talking about Oklahoma. If you look at it, they're 9-0, and and that's why they're ranked 8th in the country and not somewhere else. But, exact words, but they don't have any signature wins. That's the criteria. It's not that someone's not being punished for losing. It's Oklahoma has nothing, literally nothing to hang its hat on right now. But, again, if you're looking for that silver lining of hope, Barta goes on to say, he says, but there just hasn't been a signature win yet. And if you compare them to Michigan State, for example, uh, Michigan State beat Michigan. If you look at Notre Dame, they've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Purdue. So they're sandwiched in between there. But then he, then he says this, 
But there's a lot of football to be played. Oklahoma is 9-0, and we'll see starting this weekend. I really believe this playoff committee wants to rank Oklahoma higher than number eight. I believe they do because it's two weeks in a row. They But, oh, you didn't play last week. Right. Two weeks in a row. He has said, we're watching Oklahoma. Two weeks in a row. So Oklahoma takes the field in Waco Saturday morning with the opportunity to either prove this committee wrong or prove them right. And that's that's what, as fans— we have to understand that. And let's just get away with the outrage. Just put it put it up for right now. You beat Baylor and you stay at number eight with everything that's been said about, about Oklahoma by this playoff committee. You beat Baylor and you stay at number eight, then get the outrage back out of the closet. I give you permission. But at this point, at least, at least acknowledge. And you know me, Rich. Anybody's listening to this podcast, you know me. I am the biggest Oklahoma fan. I I I, I I'm there. You 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 wrote for us for a long time. I don't apply for credentials for football. We've been credentialed for basketball. We've been credentialed for baseball. We've been credentialed for softball. I don't try because I'm a fan. I want to sit in the stands. I want to sit with my family. I want to sit with my friends. I don't want to cover it as a reporter. But at least admit, at least admit, there's no one of quality on this schedule to this point. That's what I'm asking. When it comes to the college football playoff, then I, I have to just point this out is I do think they got one area right. And Al- we can Georgia. No, oh, okay. well, Georgia, of course. Right. Okay. And Matt, I've been saying this and you and I have had a conversation even on this podcast of saying Georgia's just in a class of their own. Mm-hmm. When it gets when when we get to December, more importantly, when we get to January, are there any teams that can challenge them? I, I do think there are. I just haven't seen them yet, but I know each team is progressing. Mm-hmm. And when you don't see them on the field together, it's it's difficult to make assumptions. And I don't watch Georgia football. I don't sit down and take in a game every single weekend. I don't do that with any SEC team, for that matter. I don't do that with the Pac-12. Sure, there are games on these nightcaps, if you will, as long as it's not Oklahoma State and Kansas, that I'll sit down and watch when Oklahoma's not playing. Why? Because I expect it to be entertaining football. But at the end of the day, Oregon above Ohio State is where <laughs> where Oregon belongs. And we can settle the head-to-head debate that was being had on social media between those two programs through the college football playoff yeah. now. Well, they did, you so def- they got it right. Yeah, you definitely can't say the same thing about Michigan, Michigan State. You, you definitely you, you can't because that, that's so <laughs> far out. And, and, and then to come out and say, well, we looked at these two schools and we started looking at it a week ago. A week ago, Michigan beat Mich- uh, Michigan State beat Michigan. But he said, we started looking at it a week ago, and we really feel like Michigan's the more well-rounded team right now. Really? Because Michigan took the L to <laughs> Michigan's A, whatever. So you're right. You, so they can't say that on the other side. All right, let's talk about basketball before we jump into Oklahoma Baylor. Um, Porter Mosier officially 1-0 with this team. Sooners beat Roger State, but that was an exhibition game. Now they come back and they beat uh, Northwestern. State 77 to 59. We're recording this on Thursday, Friday, Oklahoma. And, and UTSA is no slouch. You know, Steve Hansen, a lot of people remember him from his time with Long Kruger. They're coming to town. That's not going to be just a kind of a layup type, you know, using basketball reference, layup type win. But Oklahoma, they, they looked good. They didn't shoot as well in this game as they did um, against Rodgers. Which was expected. Right, but I I didn't expect nine of twenty five from three point range. I mean I did I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. But again, 
I, you know, Tanner Groves, 15 points, which was way better than the two he got uh, against Rodgers, which is good. I mean, you, you knew he wasn't going to just average two points a game all season long, but you see Tanner Groves really kind of get working in here and you see Oklahoma take it to the paint where 44 of their points came in the paint. And you've got three guys, Jalen Hill, who just kind of set this team on fire in the second half with the block coast to coast Euro step layup. Jalen Hill, 15 points, Tanner Gross, 15 points, and then your boy Mo Gibson with 13 to lead Oklahoma scores. So that's you got that going for you. But I, I they've got to play better. And when I look at this game, it's the first game of the season, and, and we've said this, there's so many moving parts. You know, you your 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 starting five is is Jalen Hill. He was a Kruger guy. Tanner Groves, transfer coming in from Eastern Washington. Mo Gibson, uh, a Kruger guy. Jordan Goldwire coming in from Duke. And then Elijah Harkless, a, a Kruger guy. So you, you've got three Kruger guys. You've got two transfer guys in your starting five. They've got a gel. But if I was going to nitpick this team, it wouldn't be in the three-point shooting. It would be in the area of rebounding where they did get out-rebounded by Northwestern State, which surprised me because Northwestern State started a four-guard lineup. That is surprising. Matt, this is one of the the areas that we've talked about, even under Lon Kruger, is Oklahoma winning the glass, mm-hmm. ultimately leading to the style of play. This, granted, was with Lon Kruger, leading to the style of play, which is the the push the ball and run and gun, basically. When I look at Oklahoma, I'm not concerned about the three-point shooting either. Um, You have to look at the second-half stats. I think Oklahoma kind of settled down. The game wasn't as close if we just look at the second half versus the first half. But you can't do that. You can't do that. You're right. But it it shows me that, one, there's responsiveness to coaching. Yeah. And it's because Oklahoma, 5 of 10 in the second half from three-point range. That's a far cry from the – I'm assuming if we broke down the numbers, you said it was 29 total, right? So they had 19 in the first half and weren't connecting very consistently on that. 29 shots from behind the arc total. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but it's... Yeah, they were... I'm sorry, I clicked away from that. They had 25 three-point shots. Okay, it just says that... They connected on nine of the 25. Just says that they were going back to the bread and butter. And Mm -hmm. I said this about Porter Mosier, is that he wants to involve the big men. It's why these transfers followed him to the University of Oklahoma. And when you start involving them, you've mentioned the 44 points in the paint. It's like something works. Yeah. Oklahoma will have an MO. They will have an identity under Porter Mosier. And I have to believe with the number of transfers and the height of those transfers, it's going to remain this inside out game and allow things one for the guards to open up and then to maneuver to begin to move around the the border and feed the ball inside. Mm -hmm. I know we saw that on numerous occasions in this game, but at the end of the day, as long as Oklahoma maintains that identity, I think that they they could challenge for the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it'll happen for them. No, I think, but, but I think yeah. they can challenge for a spot to be included in that. Nineteen more wins and you're in, right? <laughs> I mean, look, here's what's the other thing we learned about this team is, I don't think Mosier's going to go deep into his bench, and we kind of saw that with with Lon Kruger, uh, but he really quality minutes in this game. We did the starting five, and then C.J. Nolan played 16 minutes. Austin Mason played 15 minutes. Those are both freshmen. And then Jacob Groves, 20 minutes. And that's that's about as deep as he's wanting to go right now, it looks like. 
in, in terms of quality minutes. So if you, I'm, I'm really curious because I do think UTSA is a, a step above this, this team that OU just played. And I want to see, are you going to go quality minutes? You're going to go further than, than, than eight deep, you know, total three deep on your, on your bench. And I mean, I'm just, I really want to see that. But to, to your point, the other thing that we noticed is 14 points off of turnovers, 20 points on fast breaks. And then we talked about the, I just mentioned, not a lot of bench depth, but this is a, a different, this is where you're going to see a difference between what we saw in the last couple of years of Kruger, not a knock against Kruger, but the bench play became very sporadic under Kruger. But these three guys, CJ Nolan scored nine, Austin Mason scored six. That's 15 points between two freshmen. And then and then Jacob Groves actually replaced Tanner Groves in the two-point category. We just just drop it in too. Jacob Groves didn't really have a great game at all, but um but he still played 20 minutes. Um I, I think I think he's gonna go not as deep in the bench as, as we initially expected, but I think the bench is gonna be more productive than what it had been the last couple of years. Which is a good thing. Absolutely. As, especially Absolutely. here. Especially in the Big 12, we talk about the competition from top to bottom in the Big 12, and I don't think that you can take any night off once you hit conference play. Making sure you've got that rotation set, making sure the individuals are comfortable with the role that you're asking them to fill. And there are some guys who are a little more versatile than others who could play multiple positions on this roster. So again, making sure that as a coach, you have them in a position to succeed Mm -hmm. and to continuously and constantly provide them with that type of feedback through gameplay, I think is going to do, do Porter Mosier wonders once they hit conference play. Okay, let's turn our attention to Oklahoma and Baylor. We've got offensive preview coming up. Um, we also have um, true or false. I'm asking the questions this week. It's what defensive preview, and we'll break down the Big 12 weekend. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Oklahoma at Baylor this weekend. The Sooners five and a half point favorites over the Bears going up against a defense that's allowing 20.6 points per game. Um, Baylor giving up 364 total yards of offense, 237.8 through the air, 126.3 on the ground. And there's a lot of question marks, Rich, because this is a team that went and lost in Fort Worth. And I, I think they did get ca- caught napping, so to speak. We're looking at ahead to Oklahoma coming to Waco. The following week, but also you you can't overlook the Chandler Morse uh, factor here because they bear, Bears they said that they were prepared for both quarterbacks, but clearly they weren't prepared for Chandler Morse. And you know me, I've been on high on Chandler Morris since he was a, a senior in high school in Arkansas. I was ecstatic that he was a part of Oklahoma's recruiting class. I was sad that he left. All that said. I would take the athleticism of and the poise of Caleb Williams over the athleticism and poise of Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris is a fantastic quarterback, a fantastic athlete, but give me Caleb Williams 100% of the time in, in that comparison, 
And I just wonder if it doesn't open up more areas of concern for Baylor's defense. You know, they're sitting there going, eh, yeah, we got, you know, we got fooled by Chandler Morris. Now we got Caleb Williams coming to town. So is Baylor not more concerned about Caleb Williams than they were coming in and vice versa? Is Lincoln Riley just kind of not salivating a little bit, seeing what Chandler Morris was able to do? And now he's going to – and that was – by the way, that was a TCU team that didn't have a head coach. They, that was the first game without Gary Patterson. And compare that performance to Texas Tech's first game you know, with, without Matt Wells. Granted, they were playing Oklahoma in Norman, but still, you see the, you see the difference there. Baylor got outcoached by a team with no coach is what I'm saying. So I think Dave Aranda had a little bit of a luster knocked off of, of his star power, so to speak. But also, it put Baylor on alert. Because Baylor's now 7-2, and 4-2 and two in the conference. This is an elimination game for them. Oklahoma pretty much locks up a spot in the Big 12 championship game with a win in Waco. It doesn't matter. You lose to Iowa State, you lose to, Be- you lose to Oklahoma State, you're still going to Arlington if you win this game. So Baylor, Oklahoma's going in against a team that just got beat, limping into this game, and they're fighting for survival. That lays the foundation for this to be a pretty epic game, in my opinion. When I'm looking at the mobility of quarterbacks, Chandler Morris, very deceptive in that area. Just my opinion, but very deceptive. And I think Oklahoma fans should be aware of that with Chandler Morris because of how Lincoln Riley used him behind a guy like Spencer Rattler last year, specifically on the goal line. Yeah. When we look at Caleb Williams, I think that mobility, the ceiling obviously for Caleb Williams is higher, but I think the mobility takes a step up as well. And Baylor's going to have their hands full defensively when it comes to the quarterback position. That's always the X factor, regardless of experience. It's always an X factor that can change the directory or directory, the trajectory of any game at any point in time. Will Baylor have their hands full, Matt? I've got to say yes at this point in time. Are they going to overthink it? I don't think so. I do think last week was their wake-up call. I think that was their trap game because I didn't think TCU was an offense that was built to score 30 points. No, and that's that's what I'm talking about. I mean, that's the, the, Baylor's allowing only 20.6 points per game, and that includes the 30 that TCU dropped on them last week. So you 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 that, that game was a shock across the board. Um, and I think I've never said this, so it's the first time I'm going to say it. When you're <laughs> when when you're Lincoln Riley, and you're coming in, your schematic is all all centered on Caleb Williams. I don't disagree with that. It's the first time I've said that. I, I've said, Let, you, I've said, I said in the past, you got to pass the run, you got to mm-hmm. run the pass. I've I, never said specifically the quarterback is the schematic. Can, can I just throw out a question here, something for you to consider with a statement that you're making, looking at Caleb Williams and and knowing that there is the mobility factor there, mm-hmm. is this? I'm not getting to a bold prediction, and I don't want to confuse it for that. But is this a game where you could potentially see Caleb Williams leading the team in rushing yards? Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. This is – and by the way, let's just take a little time out here. Can I take a time out? Yeah, go for it. Because I'm I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. But I'm very close, very close to being ready to admit that I was wrong about Caleb Williams and the Heisman Trophy conversation. 
I'm, I'm very close to admit. I could come on Sunday night after this game, depending on how it goes, I could come on Sunday night and say, you know what? I was wrong about Kenneth Williams and the Heisman Trophy. Because all I've said all along, he deserves to be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. He doesn't deserve to win. But you see what happened to Michigan State last week. You see what happened to Wake Forest last week. There is no clear front runner anymore. It's not there. Caleb Williams goes out and has a big game on Wait, Saturday. So you're not saying that you're wrong and that Caleb Williams doesn't doesn't belong in the conversation. You're going the opposite direction with this thing. No, I'm uh, yeah, I'm saying, and saying Caleb Williams could legitimately he take could legitimately this thing win. Home. He could. I've I've said all along he deserves to be in the conversation. Spencer, but Spencer Rattler's name is going to be written on the bottom <laughs> gonna, of it forever. Have to, like etch it out, you know, <laughs> put some duct tape across it with a sharpie. <laughs> uh, no, I've said all along that he that I do believe he deserves to be in the conversation because he's one of the top three to four college players right now in the game. But I've said with that, he came in too late to be actually in consideration right. for actually winning. Mm-hmm. He goes out on Saturday. He he puts up 300 passing yards, 270 passing yards, over 100 yards on the ground, accounts for four or five touchdowns. This dude is going to be a front runner. After last weekend, Caleb Williams, if he has the game that Oklahoma really needs him to have, he will be a front runner. And what I said, sorry, I know you're jumping in, wanting to jump in, no, but what, no, I, what I had said about this was Caleb Williams is going to get a lot of second and third place votes, so more second place votes than third place votes, but the first place votes are going to go to this guy, that guy, and so forth. The, I don't agree with that anymore after last weekend. The thing that Caleb Williams has working in his favor in this debate, in the Heisman outlook and the conversation, is that he was really the catalyst for this team. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, I'm still a big fan of Spencer Rattler. I think he has a lot of success in future endeavors. His future, what we're clearly seeing, is not as the starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma Mm -hmm. anymore. And so Caleb Williams is going to benefit from being the catalyst for change for this Oklahoma team. And it's not that they weren't winning because we still see an undefeated record through the first five weeks of the season. Okay, through the first four weeks of the season. Caleb Williams steps onto the field and delivers from the very first carry that he gets this knockout punch and shows what he's capable of when given the opportunity. Right. That's ultimately people will remember that. And when they go to vote, it's something that will continuously be fresh on their mind. If Oklahoma runs this gauntlet of the big 12 through the month of November, I hate to keep bringing this up. College football playoff, right? Um, Gary Barda, the chairman of the college football playoff, two weeks in a row he's talked about we're watching Oklahoma. We're gonna watch their schedule. Two weeks in a row he's mentioned that. Oh yeah. Do you know that also? Do you <laughs> so know the last week? Do you know that also? Okay, cool. Yeah, he did. Let's but make do sure you, no one gets hurt this week. Do you also know that two weeks in a row he's mentioned Caleb Williams? I, I knew the first week. I yeah. really hadn't paid yeah. paid any attention to the comments. The second week of the college football playoff yeah. rankings, because Oklahoma being off, I didn't expect them to be a major part of the conversation. To to my knowledge, to my knowledge, Caleb Williams is the only football player from Oklahoma that Gary Barter has mentioned by name, and he's done it two weeks in a row. That he probably knows by name. <laughs> that could be true. But the point is, is that everyone and their dog is going to be looking in on this game Saturday to see if Oklahoma is worthy of top four consideration. And with that, a lot of Heisman voters are tuning into this game. And with that, Caleb Williams is going to be in the biggest spotlight he's ever been in as the starting quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. 
It's a big weekend Agreed. for him. Agreed. But still, Lincoln Riley. It's a big month. Lincoln Riley. Well, it starts Saturday though. You got you can't, you know one you, one game at a time. Exactly. I get it. We don't want to pull a Baylor. <laughs> so Lincoln Riley, I I think you got to build this around Caleb Williams, and and what Oklahoma. I look, I TCU. I've got a lot of respect for their running backs. They've got some really good running backs. Oklahoma has good running backs. Where Oklahoma's advantage over TCU lies. Caleb Williams is a bigger, faster, stronger version of Chandler Morris. And then Oklahoma's receivers are better than TCU receivers. So you, you've got a game plan for this group of receivers. You've got a game plan for Mike Woods if he plays. You've got a game plan for Marvin Mims. You've got a game plan for Mario Williams. Austin Stogner coming. A lot of M's. Yeah, Austin right Stogner there. coming back around. You got a game plan for that. You got a game plan for Kennedy Brooks, but now you really have to game plan for a bigger, faster, stronger version of the quarterback who just was the Big 12 offensive player of the week because of what he did to your defense. I think this sets up pretty well for Oklahoma's offense. Have you heard the comparisons that they're making for Caleb Williams? No. To previous Oklahoma quarterbacks? They're it, saying he has the leadership. Of a guy like Baker, Baker Mayfield, okay. with the athleticism of, of Kyler, Kyler Murray, and wrapped the size up of in Jalen the, Hurts, exactly. yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I can I can get on board with that. All this said, though, to me, going back to this game plan, balance is the key. You don't want to be run heavy. You don't want to be pass heavy. I think you got to be balanced. And you're you're telling me no, you disagree. I, I am making a face at you for one singular reason, and that's because Oklahoma posted 72 rushing yards against Texas Tech two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I do think there needs to be Oklahoma, for but, lack of a better way of putting I mean, it, needs to regrow their legs. I, I, I think you have to keep a defense honest. I, I look, I, I I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but the the it's an apples to oranges comparison to me because Texas Tech came in saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna we're going to take away your run game and make you beat us passing. And it was so easy, Rich. It was so easy for Caleb Williams to beat them passing that they didn't even try. They did. Yeah. They, they weren't even like disguising the fact that they weren't going to run. <laughs> right. You want to take away the run? Okay. We'll let you have it. Try to guard this guy. I, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into that yeah. performance. Here's let, let me take the reverse side of the equation because there is one thing that concerns me. I do wholeheartedly agree that this game hinges on the performance of Caleb Williams, his ability not only to run, but also his ability to throw the receivers to get it. I get that there's a lot working into this singular uh, statement, but Mm -hmm. at the same time is all eyes are going to be on Caleb Williams to deliver, to be an accurate passer, to move the pocket, to run when nobody's open and to, to gain positive yards instead of taking a sack. So there's a lot going on, but it all, I, like I said, wholeheartedly agree. It hinges on Caleb Williams. The one thing I want to say is that I'm not, I'm not overly impressed with Baylor's defense. Now you can look at the number and say, yes, they're giving up 20.6 points. Mm -hmm. That's good enough for third in the big 12 at the moment. But I think that number is a little bit skewed. And when we look at the yardage, it's a completely different story. Baylor's in the bottom half, Matt, when it comes to yards given up per game. But here's what happens with Baylor is as teams, and unfortunately they got a dose of their own medicine last week because I was really hoping Baylor would get that win over TCU. But what happens? Bohannon throws an interception. Yeah. And so I'm looking at this defense, this Baylor defense, and saying that they're they're very opportunistic in the secondary. They're leading the conference in interceptions 
at nine. And so when that chance comes, it's not like they're not giving up yards, but when the opportunity comes to turn the ball over, they're taking advantage and saying, cool, doesn't matter that you just went 70 yards on us. We got the interception and we're going back the other way. Right. That's the part that concerns me. Interceptions were and turnovers were a big part of Oklahoma's last trip to Waco as well. I mean, you're right. And it was early turnovers by Jalen Hurts. He had the fumble, had two fumbles, actually, uh, the interception. But then that game ended also with, with Nick Benito with the big turnover. I, I look, I, I think I think sticking you know, on talking about Oklahoma's offense, you balance this out. I, I don't I don't think you look into the Texas Tech game and think, oh, they struggled to run against Texas Tech. Yes, in theory they did. In principle they did. Wasn't the game plan either. Exactly. Lincoln Ryan's like, fine, you can have that. It's twofold. Yeah, you can have that. I'm gonna pass for 400 yards on you. So yeah, congratulations for. And that's the thing. When you hold a team to under 100 yards rushing, but you give up over 400 yards through the air, you really can't celebrate giving up under less than 100 yards rushing, because they didn't try to run because they you couldn't stop them throwing the ball. Baylor's not going to be like that. Baylor's going to have to attack balanced and Oklahoma's going to have to attack balance. And that's going to be the key here. If Oklahoma loses its running the game against Baylor, they could be in trouble. If Caleb Williams turns the ball over a lot against Baylor, they could be in trouble. If Marvin Mims can't break free against the Baylor secondary, they could be in trouble. But that brings me to my offensive players to watch. You got one? We can't, I, I do we, have one. We can't one. say Caleb Williams because we've talked about yeah, him already. Yeah, I, I so do have one. Give me – because I got two. I have two. I got, okay, okay, awesome. Let, do they play the same it. position? They don't play the same position. Okay. Give me your – As yours, maybe. Mine we'll find the, out I'll, really. I'll just go ahead and tell you. My, my guys play the same position. Two guys we haven't talked about, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the, uh, the list of receivers. Mm-hmm. We didn't mention Braden Willis and Jeremiah Hall because those are the guys that are going to draw the mismatches. This Baylor defense is pretty good. But there's just too many weapons here. And when you check down to Braden Willis, Jeremiah Hall, particularly in the red zone or third and short, I think these guys are going to have some pretty significant plays on Saturday. So that's two guys, same position. That's who I'm watching. I think two two guys, different positions. But the two that I'm going to watch, I'm going to start with Kennedy Brooks. Okay. And, and here's the reason why, Matt, is we've seen what happens when teams sell out to stop the mobility of Caleb Williams. And it's that these running backs run wild. Yeah. More specifically, Kennedy Brooks. If Baylor chooses to attempt to make the quarterback position one-dimensional where he's only throwing the ball, and there's these wide-open gaps where yeah. there's a little bit of, of room to run for a guy like Kennedy Brooks – He's got enough explosiveness, he's got enough patience, and he has the top speed to make something happen, which is why I think he could potentially have a big game. But I've also got to go with the receivers. And when we're looking at the receivers, the guy that I'm loving right now is is Mario Williams. Right Mm -hmm. now, he's the flavor of the week for me. Had a big game against Texas Tech. You get the week off, you get to refresh, relax, kind of recuperate, and really just take care of yourself throughout that week. It's not a game prep week. And so when we're looking at who's going to draw a majority of the attention, there's several names out there that I think the safety specifically of this Baylor defense are going to be tasked with stopping. Hopefully if things go my way, it it leaves a little bit of room for Mario Williams to pick up right where he left off while these other guys like a Marvin Mims mm-hmm. or an Austin Stogner, Stogner, whoever the receivers are, are going to be, that draw a majority of that responsibility from the defense. Um, again, just thinking that it's going to leave a little, a little bit of room for Mario Williams to maneuver with his speed. 
Yeah, that's, I, I can see that. Um, real fast, bold prediction for Oklahoma's offense against the Baylor defense. I've, again, I've got two. I don't, how many do you have? One. Okay, so let's sandwich yours in between my two, yep. okay? So my first one is this. I'm just going to ride the hot streak, okay? I, I called this two weeks ago, and I'm going to go with it again. This week, two weeks ago, I said Marcus Major would play against Texas Tech. This week, I'm going to take Congratulations a, for being right, by the way. Thank you. This but w- did I tell you you were right on both occasions? Yeah, you did. I did. Yeah. This week, I'm going to take it a step further and say Marcus Major plays against Baylor, but he plays in a significant part of the game, meaning – He's not going to. He's not going to out carry Eric Gray. Or Eric Gray uh, out carry Kennedy Brooks as far as the number of touches. But he he'll come into the game when the game's still in in on the line. Like he was garbage time against Texas Tech. He'll I guess the best way to say it, he'll play non garbage time minutes against Baylor on Saturday. That's my first one. Give me yours. The the prediction I have to go with Matt is something that I also think could be a key to the game here, and it's that Oklahoma will not turn the ball over Ooh. in this game. When I look, yes. At this offense, there's a true freshman at the quarterback position. There have been offensive line concerns. There have been moments when the ball has been hurled downfield without a true target at the end of it. So when I look at this defense, though, of Baylor, I just mentioned that they were opportunistic. Mm -hmm. I think Oklahoma, one, needs to avoid those, but I think they do it in this game by taking what the defense gives them, but two, by utilizing the strength that is Lincoln Riley and finding some of those mismatches and utilizing the the H-back position that you've already named off here. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, Here's my second final uh, bold prediction. Baylor, we we said this already. Baylor, the defense allows 364.1 yards per game to opposing offenses. Bold prediction number two for me is Jay. Start say Jalen Hurts, Caleb Williams. That's your fault, by the way. Caleb Williams will account for over 400 yards of offense in this game. Between running and passing, he will account for over 400 yards of offense in this game. That's my bold prediction number two. We got uh, true or false coming up. Uh, I'm asking the questions to Rich, and then we'll talk about Oklahoma's defense versus the Baylor offense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Here we go. The middle section of the podcast, the section we call true or false. One of us gives out five statements and the other one says this is true or it's false. And then the reason behind their logic of it being true or false. So Rich, uh, Rich is in the hot seat this week. I'm going to say the statements and um, there's some. I, I gotta be honest, Rich. I, I'm I'm not too too proud to admit this. Probably not my best effort, but I instead of being more focused specifically on Oklahoma Baylor, I got some general topics as well. And so this is gonna span college football. All of it's related to Oklahoma in one way or the other, but it's not specific to Oklahoma Baylor on Saturday. All right. So here we go. Are you ready? All right, Lincoln Riley missed his Tuesday media session, and Oklahoma social media melted down. There was rumors of Lincoln Riley being in Baton Rouge, rumors of Lincoln Riley being in Los Angeles, just because he missed a media session on Tuesday with some personal business that came up. Here we go. True or false? Lincoln Riley missing Tuesday's media session really is a non-starter of a topic. 
I am going with true on that one. When you look at the current position that Lincoln Riley holds, you look at some of the, the grace that he's been afforded in different moments, especially this season as a head coach, maybe not by the fan base, but a win is a win at the end of the day. That's beside the point, and I'm not going to chase that rabbit at this moment. But Matt, I have to look at what Lincoln Riley currently has versus what he would be giving up to mm-hmm. leave for a program like LSU. And while you look at LSU being in the SEC, while you look at them kind of being in the hotbed between Florida and between Texas, two of the most um, fertile recruiting grounds in the country, it's not as if Oklahoma isn't competing mm-hmm. for that caliber of a recruit for the talent that comes out of those two states. It's a hard sell for me to say that Lincoln Riley is shopping himself around, especially considering the fact that his contract seems only to go up year after year after year with some bonuses. I'm sure that I'm not aware of someone else may be aware of them, but there are bonuses I know that are, are tied to that. And Lincoln Riley most likely will reach those. So again, I'm comparing what does he have versus what would he be giving up and have to take over at a pro- if he left a program like Oklahoma for a program like LSU and just saying it's not happening? The biggest thing he has and the biggest thing he would be giving up is job security. And I, that that and and I I'll be honest I don't know why Lincoln Riley missed Tuesday I don't think anybody knows why Lincoln Riley missed Tuesday but I love what Gabe Eichard tweeted out. Gabe Eichard said, you know, of all the things that Lincoln Riley has accomplished as the head coach at the University of Oklahoma, being at practice on Wednesday morning while simultaneously also being in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is pretty darn incredible. <laughs> so, I mean, look, I just, I think uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma social media is on edge. It's on edge from the college football playoff to Lincoln Riley missing a media session. So it's it's crazy. Uh, Oklahoma fans are thinking and we we need to win on Saturday or it could be the couches could be burning on Saturday night. All right, here we go. Number two, um, looking at all of the upsets that happened last weekend in college football, Wake Forest goes down, Michigan state goes down. And then the near upsets, Alabama struggles and uh, Ohio state struggles. So here we go. True or false. Oklahoma picked a perfect time for a bye week that first weekend after the college football playoff rankings come out. Looked at the perfect time. Yeah, that was the perfect time for them to book a bye week. Man, um, I wish it would have come earlier in the season, but I do have to agree with true. And a large portion of me says that it's true, not because of what was happening around the country, not because of what was happening in the college football playoff rankings, not because of some teams being upset, not because of unranked teams being the odds on favorite to beat ranked opponents as well here these past couple of weeks. But what it really comes down to for me is we're looking at the meat of the schedule for Oklahoma. And when you need a bye week, it couldn't have come at a more opportune moment Mm -hmm. for Oklahoma. One of the things, Matt, that we had talked about was that nine-week stretch without a break. And while I know it typically falls around the beginning of October, while it typically falls either after the OU Texas game or seemingly before conference play starts, that just wasn't the case this year. And if you're looking to make a push and to make a case, watching some of these other teams fall is just a benefit of that bye week for Oklahoma. But now it's time to get to work rested and ready to play. All right. Um, yeah, I just, I, I look at that and I say, clearly it was upset Saturday, but also 
it could have been a good statement day for Oklahoma as well. Um, but you're right. Nine weeks in, you got to have a bye week. And I wish it would have been earlier, but I'm glad it was now. Uh, number three, here we go. Uh, we've talked extensively already about the clay, the college football playoff rankings. Don't really want to bring up the whole conversation about the rankings themselves, but we know where Oklahoma is and we know where we want Oklahoma to be. So true or false, when you consider uh, the current state of the college football playoff rankings, style points do matter on Saturday in Waco. <laughs> that's uh, man it's it's really going to depend on how you define style points it's going to be a false for me when i look at what oklahoma is up against here in november this will potentially be their first win over a ranked opponent mm-hmm. assuming they get the win on saturday and baylor's not going to drop out of the rankings completely just because they've taken on a third loss and a second consecutive one they'll be on the verge of that happening, but I see them still being in the rankings, even though they've got that third loss. You look later down the road as well with Oklahoma state, who's currently ranked and Oklahoma could potentially pick up two wins against ranked opponents. There was a tweet that went out and I think there were eight teams that had yet to claim a win over a team in the top, top 25 of the college football playoff rankings and in the initial Mm -hmm. rankings. That did include Oklahoma. That included other teams like Awake Forest. Needless to say, does Oklahoma need style points when going up against a conference opponent on the road who is ranked? I'm, I I just don't think so. Yeah, I look, you got to win, okay? I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I said this already. You win and you're in, okay? Win out and go 13-0 with the Big 12 champion and you're in the college football playoff, okay? But... um. I do think you're five and a half. You're a five and a half point favorite, and you're playing on the road against a ranked opponent. And you look at what happened to, to Wake Forest. You mentioned it last week. They played their first ranked opponent in North Carolina, and they lost. So I think if you come out with a one point win, you're still sitting pretty good because you got a, a road win over a ranked opponent. But I also think when you've got the playoff committee looking at you so closely, OU's about to go under a microscope. We we we've discussed this. You win by 28 in Waco. And that that is a huge statement uh, for this team. And so I, I, I disagree. I think style points do matter on Saturday. But the main thing is just win the game. Speaking of Saturday, speaking of college football playoff rankings, speaking of Oklahoma being number eight, true or false, should Oklahoma win out through the season, they would not only be in the top four, but at worst, they would be at least top three. I'm, I, man, it's... Oklahoma has not had the benefit of the doubt this season, and that's where I'm sitting on the fence with this one. My gut instinct, though, Matt, is to say that that's true. Um, and I honestly think that Oklahoma could make a case for number two the way things have gone this season. You were assuming Georgia stays unbeaten mm-hmm. at this point in time, and we're assuming Oklahoma stays unbeaten. If Oklahoma runs the gauntlet, I don't see any reason they can't be at number two, Cincinnati's going to be making the same case. And right. so it's really going to be comparing Cincinnati's resume to Oklahoma's resume, assuming all three of these teams stay unbeaten for the remainder of the season. And that's a pretty tall task for two of those teams. Cincinnati is the one that I'm singling out and saying it's not as difficult as it will be for a team like Georgia and for a team like Oklahoma, who each and every week, and that's no different from Cincinnati. It's just the level of talent that they're playing against isn't quite at the caliber that these other two will be each and every week. Georgia, as well as the Oklahoma Sooners, will get their opponent's best shot. Right. True. Very true. 
again, assuming all things hold steady and those three teams are unbeaten, it's comparing Cincinnati to Oklahoma for me, and I think Oklahoma gets the nod. Yeah, and, and number also, two, not number three. Also, keep in mind, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, all going to play each other. Mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia going to play each other. So yeah, I, I think I think number three is easy if OU's thirteen and zero after uh, after the first weekend in December. Speaking of the first weekend in December, Rich, here's the last one. Uh, bring you to the final question: true or false? Uh, I'm going to ask you to call your shot right now on the spot. November 11th, 11-11, 2021, Veterans Day. Rich, true or false? We are, in fact, going to see Bedlam and back-to-back weekends, one weekend in Stillwater and then the next weekend in Arlington. I I do have to say true. Um, we will see Bedlam back-to-back. And, Matt, if I say false, what I realize I'm saying is that Oklahoma will lose a game this season. There's only one equation, in in my opinion, that removes Oklahoma, and it involves Oklahoma losing. Baylor hoping to pull that upset this weekend and remain relevant in that conversation. So when it comes down to it, if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, which is a very real possibility at this point. Shame on you, later in the Shame season, on you. If they beat it, that that's two losses right. for Oklahoma. And all of a right. sudden, we're looking at the head-to-head and who gets the nod. It's not Oklahoma in either of those equations. You'd see Oklahoma State and Baylor in that championship game. So, yes, Matt, it's I'm saying true because I know me saying false means I believe Oklahoma will lose a game this season. Well, I mean, the other side of that coin is you could say false thinking that maybe, I don't know, Chandler Morris upsets Oklahoma State this coming weekend and then Iowa State with the tiebreaker over Oklahoma State. You could have a rematch. You you could. There's a path. There's a path to a rematch I, I that doesn't see, involve OU losing this I game. I see Oklahoma State's defense is too experienced. Uh, well, they, Baylor thought the seen, same thing and then Chandler Morris came in Baylor, and wrecked him. Chandler Morris wrecked him. Wrecked him. Darn near killed him. All right, here we go. Uh, that's it. We got to talk about Oklahoma's defense against the Baylor. Uh, excuse me, Oklahoma's. Yeah, defense versus the Baylor offense. And then uh, we'll get out of here with the Big 12 rundown. Thanks so much for being a part of the Sooner Nation Cup podcast. If you've got your own thoughts, questions, suggestions for true or false, you want to run something by us, hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland, and we'll do our best to get it involved in the show. Oklahoma's defense tasked with stopping a Baylor offensive attack that is producing an average of 36.3 points per game, uh, uh, 457.4 yards, and it's pretty balanced. We've talked, we've talked vigorously, Rich, about the dangers of a balanced attack, and of that 457.4 yards, 226.6 comes in the air, 230.9 comes on the ground, and that's why when you're looking at this matchup against the Bears offense, those guys up front, the first two levels of the defense, you gotta win the you gotta win at the point of attack, and then you gotta you gotta tackle at first contact because they're gonna come down heel with a guy like Abraham Smith, who's already over a thousand yards on the season, averaging seven point three yards per carry. He's got eleven rushing touchdowns on the season. Rich to me, that's that's the difference maker. There's a lot of there's a lot of, of uh, talk about Gary Bohannon and I mean, he's an accomplished guy, 65% completion percentage. You talked about the interceptions. He's got five on the season, uh, but he's also compared to 15 touchdowns. To me, this is about what are you going to do with Abram Smith? And and this starts and stops there as far as your defensive success. Now, the good news is Oklahoma has been solid against the run when healthy, and it looks like Oklahoma is going to go into this thing as healthy as they've been since at least the West Virginia game. I do like that you mentioned this idea of being healthy. 
Oklahoma gets DJ Graham, they get DeLaron Turner-Yell, and they get Jalen Redmond back two weeks ago. Now they've got that extra week of rest only going to benefit these guys. And we saw the difference. We saw this major turnaround or this defense, if you want to say it this way, turn the corner mm-hmm. with those three on the field. And Matt, you've been the first to point this out. It comes down to communication. It comes down to the experience that, that Delaron Turner yell has on the field and his ability to orchestrate what's happening for this defense. And more specifically, in the secondary, but you also have to like the athleticism and the depth that Jalen Redman adds as well as right. DJ Graham. Needless to say, all three of those names are are very much so integral parts of this defense and have the ability to keep this defense on track from what we saw against Texas Tech. When I'm looking at Baylor, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. The heart of this offense has been their rushing attack. The problem for me comes with Bohannon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we look at a quarterback. Yes, you've mentioned that he's thrown five interceptions, but all five of those interceptions have come in the past three games. I think people are starting defenses, defensive coordinators are starting to key in on this rushing attack yeah. and saying, look, we know you have an explosive receiver. We know that you have the ability to throw the ball on down the field. But we're going to challenge you to do that without a rushing attack and see how how we fare. It's worked out pretty well for TCU, who got two interceptions mm. off of him. I expect Oklahoma, with the talent that they have up front on that defensive line, to be able to slow down this rushing attack without sacrificing too much of what's going on on the back end, meaning the linebackers as well as this secondary, which then means there's there's a lot of moving parts all of a sudden for a guy like Bo Hannon to dissect and decide where he's going right. to throw that ball. If those receivers, when those receivers get open, is that safety going to chomp down and intercept that pass? That's that's what I see as being the key to this game is stopping that run, but also forcing turnovers. Yeah, and you do that by bringing pressure. I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. You stop the run, and then you bring pressure. And, and having... A guy like Jalen Redmond, we saw what that did for Isaiah Thomas against Texas Tech. You're able to move Isaiah Thomas back to the outside. And another thing that we haven't discussed here on this episode is moving Key Lawrence over to cornerback. Because if Woody Washington isn't back, if he's not healthy to go against Baylor, you've got a good option and when you're looking at Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Snead, the two uh, the two star receivers for Baylor, averaging let's see, Thornton's averaging 17.2 yards per reception, Snead averaging 14.3. You need to have two corners, two quality corners. And you you mentioned D.J. Graham on one side. This will be a good test because Texas Tech basically had one really good wide receiver. Baylor has two really good wide receivers. So every down, every snap, every time the defense goes out there, both corners are going to be pressed uh, to to contain their guy and not let him get behind them. So this will be a stronger test for Key Lawrence should Woody Washington not be able to go. And But I think you got to feel a lot more comfortable with this, with Key Lawrence at least being able to hold down that spot based on what he did two weeks ago against Texas Tech. And hopefully he's going to continue to improve and get better over the the last two weeks of practice. But yeah, you you got to you got to stop the run, and then you got to bring pressure. You you've got to you've got to make Bohannon 
go through that progression a little bit more quickly, or you've got to limit him from being able to go through the progression altogether. Uh, You want to force that because when you're able to, to keep a guy from going all the way through the progression before your pressure arrives, then, then you're able to get that ball out, force it out. And when you're forcing the ball out, that's when you, you see a, a quarterback miss a safety here and there, or, you know, doesn't see the guy in zone who's underneath. Those are the type of mistakes that can be made by a first year starter when he gets under pressure. And so because of that, Rich, my guy I really want to watch for on this Oklahoma defense is Isaiah Thomas. He got loose against Texas Tech because of the where they had placed Jalen Redmond. Can he get loose again against Baylor now that that's out on film? What is Isaiah Thomas going to bring to this, and how much pressure can he put on Gary Bohannon? And that's where I want to see. Um, that's where I, that's why I'm going to be watching specifically Isaiah Thomas on this defense on Saturday. I have the same name written down as my individual to watch Cheater. for this game. And and Matt, it's not just what is happening for Isaiah Thomas when he gets to the quarterback. But it's also what's happening when he doesn't get there. There's this recognition, this growth that we've seen, this maturity that we've seen since he's been moved back out to the outside. When he's not getting there, we saw just just how much of an effect he can have on this game, specifically when the quarterback's looking over this line to throw the ball mid-distance, mid-range, over the middle, or, or even just try to flag something out towards the side. Needless to say, Isaiah Thomas getting his hands up. He's a guy who's very aware of what's going on, what's happening in the backfield, and what he needs to do in order to be an obstacle that potentially stops that. But I, I, while it starts with him, let me say it this way. While it starts with a guy like Isaiah Thomas, I never want to count out the effect of Nick Benito out yeah. either. And we're talking about not just stopping the run, but getting pressure in the backfield. I feel as though this is the game where Nick Benito can can make his name known once again. He's been relatively quiet this season since we've started conference play. Hasn't put up quite the numbers that he did last year. And sure, the, the equations change. You don't have the same defensive line mm-hmm. that you had from last year. But Nick Benito's still the, the guy on this defensive line. Very versatile in what he does. And I think you could see him being asked to be that pressure guy and get into the quarterback's face more often than not. Yeah, you got to have a cleanup guy in a game like this because Bohannon is just athletic enough where he can dance around. He can maybe make Isaiah. I mean, let's not act like we haven't seen Isaiah Thomas get there and miss. Okay. So, um, so like think back to the Nebraska games. How many times did he get to Martinez and then just didn't complete the sack? So you got to have a cleanup guy when, when the quarterback's attention is on Isaiah Thomas, who's crashing in, who's that next guy that comes in? Is it going to be a Nick Benito from the other side or a Perrion Winfrey up the middle? Or, you know, those type of things. Uh, but I, I do agree. I think it all starts with uh, Isaiah Thomas. And so that's move moves us on to bold predictions for Oklahoma's defense uh, against the Baylor bears. And I'll let you go first. I only have one. Good. So, yeah. I only have one. Um, I'm shooting from the hip on this one. I'm going to be honest with you in that. And when I look at what Oklahoma's doing, what I look at, when I look at what they have the potential to do, here's my bold prediction. And this is ridiculously bold at this moment, but I think Oklahoma has a legitimate potential in this game to set the single game record for sacks, which is quite high at this point wow. in time. You, I mean, you realize the Texas game. Yeah. But you realize Bohannon's only been sacked six times all season long. 
You still okay? Yeah. I mean, that, that doesn't my bold okay. prediction, right? All right. Well, here's my bold prediction. Um, that's good. I like it. I, and maybe both of our bold predictions can come true. Uh, my my bold prediction. You you already talked about turnovers and the propensity that Baylor has to lob that ball up there every now and then. Um, my bold prediction is this: Oklahoma's defense scores on Saturday. This is the this is the weekend. Where you don't just get a turnover. Now, don't forget, in 2019, the last time Oklahoma went to Baylor. That game, they snapped a five-game streak of no turnovers. It snapped in that Baylor game. Now, I'm saying Oklahoma's defense gets a score in, in this trip to Waco. So that there's there's my bold prediction. We're going to give you our our score predictions for Oklahoma and Baylor here in just a minute, but we got to run through the rest of the Big 12 and kind of give you our thoughts on uh, Big 12 action this week, particularly when you look at uh, – at point spreads and over under totals and, and stuff like that. So that'll, that'll be our last, our last pick uh, playing simultaneously at the same time as Oklahoma Baylor is a game that I have rich zero interest in checking in on. It's a West Virginia at Kansas state uh, in Manhattan, Kansas state at six and a half point favorite over under here on this game is going to be set at 47. I, I, I have no interest in this game. I think both of these offenses can sometimes explode, and both of these offenses can, can sm, sm, just slow down to a snail's pace. I would be more interested in looking at the under in this game than I am the point total. I, I think six and a half is right on par. I, I think Kansas State probably wins by a touchdown, but I also think that they would get under on the on the uh, 47 points. This is where we're going to disagree. Can I stress again, then, I have huh? zero interest in this game. And I figured you would have just a no, small none, inkling none. of interest. I won't even now, I, I won't even peek in on commercials. Just I do think that out Kansas there. State's the better team. Yep. Here, um, a lot of that centers around West Virginia not solidifying their identity. Granted, they had put together a, a pretty impressive win streak mm-hmm. here, and I felt as though they were really coming into their own. I just don't know that they have what it takes to beat a Kansas State program in Manhattan. And I think not only does this one go over the over-under of 47, I also think that Kansas State could win it by 10, two scores. I mean, that would I, like I said, I, th- I think it's spot on. I said they cover the six and a half, but it's spot on. But even if they win by 10, that's still spot on. But if you get to 14, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like maybe maybe I'm, I'm off a little bit there. Here's the thing. If you're an Oklahoma fan, your routine interest in this game is for Kansas State because a win here would pay, would make the Wildcats seven and three on the season. That's that's a very decent record, and it really keeps propping up that uh, you know that we've talked about Kansas State now is the best win Oklahoma has on their schedule. Well, I just keeps propping that up because if you think about it from this perspective, Kansas State goes to seven and three. If Oklahoma goes to Waco and beats Baylor, Baylor will also be seven and three. So your two best wins will be road wins against seven and three programs. So your rooting interest as an Oklahoma fan, I believe, lies in in Kansas State here. Uh, Also, speaking of rooting interest, Iowa State at Texas Tech. uh, Cyclones, 10.5-point favorites over under in this game, 58.5. Again, same thing. Iowa State wins. you got a seven and three opponent coming to Norman the next week. And um, I think that's exactly what Iowa State does. I... I don't. I can't figure out Texas Tech. I really can't. 
we, we saw one game without Matt Wells. They were terribly coached, terribly managed uh, on the field. We, the starting quarterback got injured uh, by his own player. By Oklahoma ended up getting a flag for it, but his own player injured him on an out-of-bounds play. I don't, I don't know. Texas Tech was off last week. My gut says, truthfully, my gut says on this game, Texas Tech keeps it within that 10.5 points. Um, but logically, I'm thinking there's no way. There's no way Texas Tech stays within 10.5 points. What I do like is the over 58.5. I would I would be way more confident in saying that that this game goes to 59-plus points than I am either team on that 10.5-point spread. This is – at the 10.5 mark, it's always that point five that gives me a little bit of pause, makes me hesitant. And wanting to pick one way or the other, because I, I agree. I think it's it's pretty spot on here. Whether that hits the over or under has yet to be determined. But again, that I'm, I'm going to agree with you here and say that this one could be a high scoring affair. I can see Texas Tech putting up some points on this Iowa State defense that hasn't been what many had hoped it would be in being the heart and soul mm-hmm. of this team while the offense did enough to get by to, to win with the three headed monster. So. Ten and a half. I, I give a little bit of caution here. I think Iowa State wins it. I just don't know if that point five is something I'm willing to put money on. So uh, over under, you're 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 like me. You're more confident in the over than correct, you are. Correct. Okay. So a game that I do have interest in, just because of the train wreck that the Texas Longhorn football program has been recently. There's actually swirling, uh, building momentum towards the hope that Kansas could go into Austin and upset the Texas Longhorns. Can we say hapless yet? Have they reached the stage? Are they the hapless Texas Longhorns? Sure. You realize they were four and one, and then Oklahoma beat them, and now they're four and five. Yep. That I think is hapless, right? And then you got you got you got pole dancers. You got pole dancers and monkeys a week ago. This week you've got leaked video of a coach just wearing them out uh, on the bus after the Iowa State game. Texas is a 31-point favorite in this game. Over-unders at 62. I think Texas is in no danger of losing this football game. I, I can't figure out Kansas. I, I, when I, every time I expect something decent out of them, they just fall right on their face. Every time I expect them to fall on their face, they put up a decent fight. I expect them to fall on their face right here because this is suddenly a golden opportunity for Kansas to gain some respectability, which means they're going to fall on their face. So Texas wins this game outright, but they do not cover 31 points that against is, Kansas. That is quite a large spread. We have the same spread against Kansas for Coastal Carolina, uh-huh. and they <laughs> they barely got got that one. But this was a different situation. Right. This was a better football team at that point in time. Still is over Texas. Kansas, 31-point underdog here. I don't think Texas covers either and i don't think this one hits the over now that's that that's a good because 62 again i think you're mm-hmm. spot on but i think you're more I, don't, I think you're about 20 over no no i think this will get into 55 to 61 range on the points i really do 55 to 61 um and so i i think i would take the under but i think it'll be a close under okay just my, give, my thoughts give me that, 40 to 50 points okay we'll find out i'm not Saturday willing night. to go up to the um, 60 
TCU at Oklahoma State, the nightcap for the Big 12 on Fox. The, the Horned Frogs with the big win last week over Baylor in Fort Worth. Now they go to Stillwater uh, to take on an Oklahoma State team that could, again, solidify their spot in the Big 12 championship game with a win, uh, just another step closer to guaranteeing that they're going to be there. Um, Let's flip a coin here. I think Oklahoma State wins big. I think this is a 20-point win for Oklahoma State. I really do. I, I mean, I, I'm going to watch this game because I've already expressed my fandom in Chandler Morris, and I am curious how this defense responds to a mobile quarterback because that's scouting purposes for when Caleb Williams goes to Stillwater in three weeks. But um, I can't see TCU staying within 13 points here. Um, I absolutely would take the over on this game at 54 and a half. But uh, give me Oklahoma State winning this game by about 21 points. I think the easiest thing to pick in this game is the over-under, and that's that it will go over what it's currently set at. But when we look at the spread here at that 13, I'm showing 13. Are you showing 13? Yeah, 13. At 13, man, it's I pulled up the stats because I was just curious. How are How is the rest of the country? How are those from the outside looking in? How are they placing their bets on this one? Right. And guess what? It's 50-50. It's a dead yeah, split. Yeah, 50% at of people are going to lose some money. Because there's this doesn't. Are. I really don't. If I was betting this game, if I was, I would not bet for TCU to cover that spread. Well, the prediction I've got is 28 to 35. Oh, so you would. You would TCU. bet. Oh, TCU to win? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, TCU to cover. To cover. For, I, was, I thought you because you said 28 points. to 35 TCU. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait, whoa. To you're get calling the straight up. See, you should just no. stick with it, man. Now, no. now, now if we come back Sunday night, you cannot say, I called it. Yeah, if TCU 20, wins. 28-35. I think Oklahoma State, clearly the better team here. There's a lot of question marks. And I've said that about a lot of programs. And then that week that they fired their coach or changed the quarterback or whatever has happened, they've stepped onto the field and produced a gym. That's exactly what happened with TCU. I'm not counting them out at this point. I just don't think they have enough to get over. Well, here's the, here's the thing is if TCU does win this game to me, the only way TCU wins this game is, is for it to go in the under. I, I don't see a scenario where TCU wins this game and it hits the over. I do see multiple scenarios in which Oklahoma State wins this game and it hits the over. But again, I I am probably of all the lines this weekend, I'm most confident in Oklahoma State covering 13 against TCU. And I know where that puts me because I've been anti-OSU most of the season as far as the point spread goes, but I think they got it this weekend. Okay, the game you're all tuning in to listen to, Oklahoma at Baylor, 11 a.m. kickoff, Fox. Uh, Fox Big Noon is going to be there in Waco. Sooners five-and-a-half-point favorites over the Bears. Over-under in this game, 62 points. Um, Man, Rich, I don't—Baylor's back is against the wall. That's the thing that scares me. Their backs are against the wall. The defending Big 12 champions are coming in. Uh, They beat Baylor two years ago in the Big 12 championship game. This is the Baylor's back year. Uh, Dave Aranda has done a great job. He's going to be a fantastic next head coach at LSU. Um, But, (laughs) yeah, sorry. Had to throw that out there. Um, I like Oklahoma to cover. Barely. Five and a half. I think Oklahoma wins this game by about a touchdown. That means there will be no style points, as previously mm-hmm. mentioned. And I love the over on this game. So I got Oklahoma covering yep. with a seven-point win and, and the over. So I'm giving you a score prediction of 35, excuse me, 37 to 
Can I can I talk now, please? I'm giving you a score prediction of 42 to 35. I think it's a shootout. Huh. We're we're actually going to be pretty close on our predictions. I think, and for obvious reasons, this is the biggest challenge that Oklahoma will have faced on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Baylor is a more complete team than any other team that Oklahoma has faced at this point of the season. With that said, I'm still buying in to the streak that Oklahoma has, whether that's in Waco or whether that's in Norman, of not dropping a game to Baylor since 2014. I think that continues. I think Oklahoma gets the win, but I agree with you. This one's going to be close. And for some people, it's going to be too close for comfort. Let me ask you this, because this is where I am. If this was not an elimination game for Baylor, Mm-hmm. If their backs were not completely against the wall, I would feel more comfortable about this nah, game. Nah. But because it's an elimination nah, game, me. no, really, because mm-hmm. it's an elimination game, I don't feel comfortable about this. I've, I've Baylor, oh, Baylor's going to play the best game they've played all season long against Oklahoma. I believe I, that. I agree with and that. And it's because it's an elimination I game. I don't think it's just that. Yes, it is. Um, we're just attacking this from, from two different angles. I've come to that realization, and my thoughts are that Baylor's going to be laser-focused. Mm-hmm. What happened to them last week has set them on this course, and they don't want another they don't want another game to slip through their fingers. Throwing that interception against TCU doomed them with a minute and three seconds right. left. Baylor's out out for blood, mm-hmm. not revenge. They're out for blood here when it comes to Oklahoma, and they're looking to continue onto the course of being in the Big Twelve Championship. That right. only happens with a win over Oklahoma yeah, exactly. right now. And when I'm looking at it, like I said, I think it's a close game. I think it's too close for comfort for some people. Um, my score is going to be just slightly lower than yours in that I think Oklahoma has to kick a few field goals here, more specifically one for the score of 38 to Baylor's 28. So that's that's going under then. Is it? Yeah, 38. What is it? 38 be 58 be 66. What, the the over under sixty two. Yeah, you got this. You got We're it. We're great. Okay, that's going to wrap it up. Math is hard sometimes. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Sooner Nation podcast. Make sure to check out uh, heartland-sports.com for pregame, postgame coverage, as well as Oklahoma City Thunder coverage, uh, and much, much more, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Enjoy your football weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.